This week's episode of the UXR podcast is brought to you by Lookback. Lookback provides the tools to help UX teams to interact with real users in real time and in real contexts. It's Lookback's mission to humanize technology by bridging the gap between end users and product teams. Lookback's customers range from one-person teams building web and app experiences to the world's largest research organizations, collectively ensuring that humanity is at the core of every product decision. Are you talking to your users enough? If not, learn how at lookback.io. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in again to another week of the UXR podcast. On this week's episode, we're talking with Patty Carlson. She's director of UX research at MailChimp. Of course, you already know what MailChimp is. It's the tool that everybody uses, especially small and medium-sized businesses, to keep their customers uh, in the loop with what's new with their company, with their business, with their product. And I talk a lot about the importance of internal marketing, especially when it comes to research. Internal marketing is marketing towards the people you work with, your colleagues, your coworkers. And it's especially important for researchers because so often we get so caught up in doing the work that we forget about putting just as much energy and love into sharing the things that we learn with all the people we work with. And of course, at a company like MailChimp, where they're focused on helping people do a better job at marketing, Patty and her team have had a ton of fun experimenting with different ways of getting the entire company involved and excited about what they've learned doing research. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and if you do, feel free to subscribe or share us a rating or a like or whatever it is on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. everybody. My name is Alec Levin. I'm the host, as you know, of the UXR podcast. And today I am very excited to be joined by Patty Carlson. Uh, she's the director of UX research at MailChimp. I've known her for probably a couple years now. Uh, and there's one thing in particular that uh, if you don't know anything about MailChimp's research team that you got to understand, which is that they do some really cool creative stuff. And we're going to be talking about one aspect that they really focus a lot on, which is sharing insights, getting knowledge from the heads and minds of a researcher into that of all the folks that they work with uh, and the various unique methods that they that they uh, leverage to do that. So thanks for joining me today, Patty. Thanks, Alec. That was a super great <laughs> for having me on your show today. Well, it's a uh, pleasure is all mine. Um, I, I think... I want to share a bit, uh, just to kick things off, I want to share a bit of a story that, that sort of made me, solidified for me that we had to talk to you and talk to you about this, which was not too long ago when we were talking about uh, some conference stuff, uh, you were sharing with me that you were shooting a video uh, with your team. And the video was uh, a take on Hot Wings. And if you don't know what Hot Wings is, it's a, it's a really popular YouTube series where uh, a, usually a celebrity and this host eat progressively hotter chicken wings uh, with, with progressively hotter ch uh, sauces until they're like sweating and falling out of their chair. And I remember you telling me that this was something that you were doing internally at MailChimp uh, as a way to get research insights from inside your mind to, to folks on your team. So first question is, how did you survive the heat that comes with that kind of hot, hot wings? 
Uh, years of practice, Alec. Years of practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was fun. Uh, I've grown up eating spicy foods. Uh, my mom is Asian, and so I've been eating spicy food since I was a kid. Uh, I have to say, I probably fared a little bit better than the other folks that I was uh, <laughs> eating the hot wings with. But yeah, we called it Hot Insights uh, as sort of our take on it, and we totally ripped off the YouTube show. And um, but we're only using it internally. Uh, so hopefully <laughs> they will forgive us. Um, That's... And we created a little logo for Hot Insights. And we basically uh, were interviewed by a couple of folks asking us about uh, some recent changes we had made to our Product Insights operating model. Very cool. So first of all, I would be on the floor by wing, chicken wing number three. I can guarantee you that. Uh, the, I, I'd love to like start from the beginning on this particular story. Um, I, I've through a bunch of our conversations. I know this is not the first time you've done something like this, um, but this is probably the one that's that's caught my attention the most. And I'd love to know, like, you know, where the beginning of the story is, how on earth you ended up at a chicken wing eating show as part of your solution to whatever problem you were solving, and, like, through to the consequences of what comes afterwards. So maybe you can just take us from the beginning and take us part of the way there. Absolutely. So, yeah, I've been doing UX research, been involved for UX research for, you know, a decade and a half now. And one of the things that has always remained consistent is UX researchers, user researchers have always had this challenge of how do I make my research more impactful? How do I make it more influential? How do I get people to actually pay attention to my recommendations? how do I get to the point where I'm not brought into a project at the very end to try and do some usability testing on a design or an idea that's already been, it's already been decided and and there's nothing that I can do. It's too little, too late. This is in all the time I've been in this field, this has been a universal problem from anybody I've talked to at a hundred percent anywhere in the world. Um, And so that's really where we started. Like the root issue was, gosh, like we know so much, we spend so much time with our users. And if senior leadership would just pay attention to us, we would just have a better product, we would provide a better experience, we would make the company more money. And so I feel like, you know, for a long time in my career, I was just trying different things, throwing different things at the wall to try and fix this issue for myself. Um, But knowing that this is sort of a universal issue, talking to other people, it just felt like nobody had really like hit on like, what is the, what is the real solution? Like, how do we like fix this? So we don't have to have this conversation ever again. Um, (laughs) That would be nice if we could do it. We could stop with the, the, the transferring knowledge conversation, but he, but we, it's been years. Like, what do you think, what do you think has been some of the reasons why this is a, a nut that we've yet to crack as a discipline? Yeah, you know, uh, for a long time, I don't know if people still say this as much as they used to, but for a long time, people were saying, we just need that seat at the table, right? We just need to, we just need to get that seat at the table, whether that means like, we need to be brought in earlier on, or we need someone that is at the right level, we need an executive sponsor. And I think that is a solution, but I don't think that is the solution. I think there's more to it than just getting your seat at the table, because once you, once you get that seat, like, what do you do with it? How do you keep? 
And so I don't really think we've th- I don't think we've thought further than that. I think we just <laughs> once we have this, what's it? Um, uh, uh, once you get that seat at the, t- I feel like it'll be the the dog cartoon where there's fire everywhere and yeah. it's like this is fine, right? Like I'm here, I'm at the table. This this yeah. is fine now, right? Yeah. What is that table? And who else is sitting there? And like, what are you talking about? Right? It's just like it 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 just wasn't enough. So I really leaned into at Mailchimp. Um, MailChimp is a marketing platform. So our target customer, they're small business owners, uh, founders of companies, uh, marketers, people who basically are trying to get their get their story shared, right? And they do that through email. They do that through our other products, like being able to create a website or a landing page. Um, you can now use MailChimp to create social media ads. And so really as like I got as I sort of leaned into understanding the MailChimp customer and understanding their challenges of how do I market myself when I don't know anything about marketing. So a lot of our, our small businesses are people who like, maybe they make jam, right? And that's <laughs> right. Or they make cheese or t-shirts or whatever. And they got into whatever they're doing. They're, they're chasing their dream, not because they have an MBA or a degree in marketing, but because they have this thing that they want to share with the world. And so now, now you start to see there's some parallels right? Um, I don't have a marketing background. I have a psychology background. Uh, I don't have an MBA. But now, you know, the wheels are turning and I'm thinking, okay, we need to market ourselves better. We need to get people talking to us, uh, get people talking about us. And we need to sort of grab the attention of people who are making decisions, but maybe have short attention spans. So in essence... In essence, what you're saying is that this problem of a lack of influence or not having a seat at the table is is not an organizational structure or a structural organizational problem. It's actually a marketing problem. It's a problem of us not being effective at sharing our story and sharing what we're learning. And you know, it's interesting you said getting people talking about us. Like I think that's a uh, really clever way of looking at that as well, right? We're not. We're not giving anybody a reason to pay attention, I think, is, is in, or we're not convincing anybody to pay attention. I don't know how you would characterize that, but something along those lines. Yeah, I think what we were really good at was we were really good at finding insights and delivering insights. But I think a lot of times the reaction to it was, well, this is interesting. What do I do with it? Or this is interesting. Why do I care? And so it was that sort of like that last piece that we probably paid attention to the least that mattered the most, right? It wasn't just like making sure your research was good and your data was accurate, but making sure it was compelling and influential to make sure that this thing that I'm telling you that we should pay attention to or that we should focus on or that we should do, making sure that happened. And so that it was that final piece, you know, the last, the last mile, the last 20% where we were like, oh, we actually need to be spending 80% of our effort on that last piece. Interesting. And is this as, as uh, sort of senior management on the research team, is this where you spend a significant amount of your time sort of like working with folks on your team and like trying to figure out strategies around getting, building that influence and getting those insights into the minds of other people? Um, is that something you see like as core to your role and uh, empowering the other folks on your team to do this? It's probably the most important thing that I can do in my role as a leader of the UX research team. 
you know, I spend my days in meetings pretty much most of the day talking to people in other departments, talking to my leadership, talking to leadership um, on other teams. And so basically I'm, I'm the ambassador, right? I'm selling the insights. I am socializing. I am building alliances. I'm getting partners. (laughs) Um, So when I go back to my team, you know, I am looking for those stories, right? And so helping my team to sort of understand how they, how they build their stories, how they package it together, um, how to triangulate data from multiple sources to be able to share a a compelling story. Um, Those are some things that we, that we work on a lot. Gotcha. So let's, let's come back to the chicken wings. So where, where did this particular project come from and how did you land on chicken wings? (laughs) That's really the, the million dollar question here. How did we land on chicken wings? Well, I will tell you, I didn't actually know about this YouTube show. Uh, someone on my team suggested it. Um, so this one is interesting because it was less about sharing insights and more about we had revamped our operating model. So how we took on projects and how we assigned people and staffed people to projects. And there were a lot of questions about it. A lot of people in the organization who were used to working with UX research one way and um we were sort of like changing how we engaged with folks and it became this really contentious, controversial thing in the organization. And we wanted to address that head on by saying like, Oh, now we're in the hot seat because we made (laughs) decisions and maybe we, maybe it would be a nice gesture to let other people in the organization see us suffer. (laughs) That is something else. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of uh, where the idea was born, and we just uh, we we really leaned into it. And um, I have to I have to thank Molly Fargetstein on my team, who's our research ops manager, who put it all together. She ordered the hot sauces online. Wow. Um, <laughs> she reached out to another team in the organization who had access to recording equipment because obviously, like we we are researchers, right? <laughs> <laughs> There was like a boom mic involved and um, yeah, she got us milk and ice cream to sort of (laughs) ease the pain. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of neat because you were seeing that, that um, with this change wasn't super popular necessarily. uh, And you probably were anticipating having to have a lot of one-on-one conversations with a lot of different people. And so for, for you, Part of where why you why you and your team landed on this was you were looking for something that was really going to catch people's attention, right? There was no way that anybody in the Mailchimp team was not going to watch this video, and so that is how you came to I guess this Hot Wings idea of like like I mean I can't imagine anybody on your team not watching that. That's <laughs> it's hilarious, right? And of course now you have you've you've marketed yourself and now you have a way we have your you have their interest. And now you can deliver that message and you know everybody in the company is going to have listened to it and be on the same page about what you're trying to say. That's really clever. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really fun. And I honestly had no idea how popular this YouTube series was. And the anytime I talked about it and brought it up, people would be were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so, uh, yeah, the wisdom of crowds. <laughs> Seriously. So, what, so some of the other stuff that I know 
um, that you've done. I'd, I'd love to sort of like show that or talk a little bit about some of the other, I guess, media media that you use to do this kind of stuff. It's not limited to chicken wings and TV shows. Um, so I remember one that you were telling me about that you have this like mini research museum. Um, can you talk a bit about what that is and, and what it looks like and, and where that came from as well? Yeah. So we did our first longitudinal study. Uh, this was last year and we were creating a new product. It is um, a very basic sort of website product. So allowing people to, the idea is, you know, you don't, you're starting out, you're just starting out. You don't have a website. You can use MailChimp to create a website and build a website. And then it's already sort of linked into your email marketing and anything that you do in MailChimp. So really like starting to tie the threads of the marketing platform for small businesses together. And since it was such a new project and since creating a website is something that is not done in a discrete, like 30 minute hour long usability session, we decided to do this as more of a diary study. And so one of the researchers on my team um, put a lot of work, put a lot of effort into this longitudinal study to really understand what are the challenges that people are going through when they're building a website and what are all the things that they need. So she put some really hard and really creative work into this. And once it was done, you know, it was a several month project. We wanted to make sure that we had a long tail of usefulness from this project. So it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of foundational research, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of good work that we wanted to make sure was exposed uh, because only certain aspects of it were actionable at any given moment, but we didn't want to lose the work that she had done and the insights that she had found. But it, because it was so massive, it was really hard to deliver it in like one tidy little deliverable. Like it just like a slide deck, a slide deck or like a Slack message. It just like didn't make sense for, you know, it, we wanted something that would be commensurate with the amount of effort that actually went into it. So again, this researcher, she came up with this. This is not my idea at all. Uh, what if we had this immersive sort of like museum experience where we had um, artifacts that sort of people could walk through and get an understanding of what this user was going through at various phases of this website building project, right? So she called it her diary study mini museum. Uh, and she basically worked with our facilities folks and got access to a bunch of big gator boards. She printed out a bunch of artifacts. She stuck it up along the walls. Um, and she had, it was basically a, a mini museum that was like a traveling exhibit that went through a few of our different offices. No locations. way. Yeah. Wow. So you would ship it from place to place so that everybody was able to like immerse themselves in it? Well, we have two offices in Atlanta. So we just drove it over from, from one office to the other one. And then we made a virtual option that was available to our Brooklyn, Oakland and Vancouver offices. Wow. And that that's amazing. Through Miro. Yeah, it was, it was great. And she also created um, postcards. So she was able to sort of like hand out postcards and invite people to come view the museum when it, as it was traveling. She also had the ability for you to sign up and put a calendar event on your calendar and she would give you a personal private tour of the mini museum. Wow. <laughs> um, 
of course, like any good researcher, she had a space for sticky notes. So as you thought of like um, ways that you could use this information, things that surprised you, there were sticky notes available for people to kind of interact. And uh, it was really, really successful in that it got a lot of people's attention because it was in this very public space. Uh, it was in our coffee hour space, which is very central to our building and People are walking through the coffee hour space multiple times a day. And so there was nobody who could avoid it, right? You right. You couldn't avoid seeing this thing. And so it had her name on it. It had UX research on it. And so when people were like, who did this? This is amazing. We were able to say, oh, that was us. That was our team. <laughs> right. That, that's, so it's really, it's really interesting. I, I think that, and maybe this is just part of the MailChimp juice, if you will, of like being able to think creatively through different ways of telling a story. Um, but that's really neat. The first time around, it was leveraging sort of the brand of a really popular YouTube series uh, and like repurposing it for, for your, your own interests. This time it was leveraging public spaces um, that within the company I think, so one of the things that you've mentioned to me before was this concept of like being noisy as researchers, we don't be, we're not noisy enough. And I'd love, uh, for, first of all, I, that, that's about, I feel like that's about as noisy as it gets, uh, like commandeering a, the, the company kitchen and, and coffee area, which uh, is fantastic. I, I'd love for you to sort of expand on that thought a little bit of um, when you talk about being noisy. What does that mean to you? And why do you think it's important, especially for us as researchers? Well, I sort of go back to this idea of, you know, I'm leaning into this uh, role of being a marketer, right? A marketer, a salesperson. Um, and I am not that by trade. I'm <laughs> a researcher by trade. I studied psychology. I considered myself very studious, very quiet. Um, and I think that's very common for people who are drawn to this field. I think this field invites a lot of, um, a lot of introverts. I think, it, I think we probably over-index on introverts. And so it's just not in our natural sort of like toolkit to, to be loud, you know, to get up on a platform and kind of shout, right? Um, metaphorically. And so... I think a lot of times things that I've heard that I've heard researchers say are, well, the work should just speak for itself. Well, people should just kind of see my recommendations and they should just act on them. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, I feel like that's just the wrong approach to take. If you really want to make an impact, if you really want to make an impression, um, you need to sort of like study what, highly influential people do and emulate that. Uh, so salespeople, marketers, um, look at who's, who people are paying attention to in your company and just channel your it. inner, your inner Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> yes. <If> you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, but it, it kind of goes along with this idea of, um, a phrase that I use sometimes, which is owning your power. Like you have this power, you have this, this superpower of like really understanding your customer, really being able to um, synthesize insights and make like really strong, powerful recommendations, but don't let it end there. Like own your power and like get noisy about it, get people to pay attention to you 
Because if you wait to be invited, it, that invitation is not going to come. You just kind of have to stand up and say, hey, I've got this information and you should pay attention to it. And this is why. And the you could be your senior leadership. It could be your manager. It could be peers on uh, other teams. It could be designers. It could be engineering. If you're working at a small startup, it could be the CEO who sits next to you. Like whoever that is, get them to pay attention and like understand what motivates them and then figure out how you sort of like uh, play into that. Right. So when you, so uh, as you're mentioning a, a lot of what you spend your time uh, in your role doing is uh, empowering the folks, the, the individual contributors on your team and the research team to uh, do a better job at, at being noisy about getting people to pay attention to them. When you're coaching them through this stuff, what are some of the things that you try and encourage them to focus on or steps that you encourage them to take um, to start that process of owning your power and being noisy? You know, it, it's interesting because it's, it's an uncomfortable thing, I feel like, uh, when I was first sort of presenting this idea of we need to have a marketing plan, we need to, have, we need to understand our audience, we need to have marketing tactics, we need to have a marketing calendar. Um, it, w- it took a while for people to come around to the idea because it was just so different and uncomfortable. Right. But I think the first step was just sort of um, giving them permission, right? Um, giving them permission to feel like what they were saying was valuable and was important and was powerful enough to be shared. And I think a lot of times the before they had that permission, it was sort of like, well, like, who am I? Like, who am I to think that, that anyone should pay attention to this? Um, and just sort of like coaching them out of that space, like telling them that they did have very valuable, important to share and helping them understand that it like, that I really meant that and mm-hmm. showing them that other people really did care about things that they had to say. And so, um, being able to lead by example, by sharing like how a particular insight or a particular story actually did influence a decision or actually did cause somebody to change their mind or take a different direction and strategy. And the more examples we were able to sort of like uh, take from those situations and share, the more people sort of got into the idea of like, oh, I really can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where it started. It also really helped that um, so my manager is has a marketing background, um, and she was the one who really helped us sort of like focus on bringing intentionality to this. Um, so not taking a haphazard approach, but actually taking a very structured approach by creating an actual plan, like a marketing calendar and a plan. And she was able to sort of share her expertise there so that we could think more like marketers. And so having me say it and her reinforce it was, uh, was really helpful too. Very interesting. So what, so it sounds like the, the first, the first step is, is like, uh, self-actualization here of like, I have value, right? I'm, I'm doing good work. And then the, the second, the second really important piece that, that you mentioned here is this idea of like, putting together a plan what what did that process look like when you were going through through it with her um and uh 
how do like what what kind of st- structure so you mentioned a marketing calendar right so is it just as simple as we want to send out an email to the team on Tuesday and then you know we want to put together a little campaign around something else the following week and, and kind of thing like that or is there a different sort of way that you think about it from that high level down to it translating into that marketing calendar yeah I will say me and my my manager had a slightly different approaches. Um, I wanted to take a content first approach. So let the content uh, determine the calendar. And she wanted to take a calendar approach. And so we kind of (laughs) went in the middle (laughs) a little bit. So we initially started with sort of like a, basically a sheet, like a spreadsheet kind of calendar situation where we, um, we looked at what was the intention and what was the audience. So we, and we had two primary intentions. One was um, spreading awareness of our team, just making sure people knew who we were, who UX research was, what we do. Um, and then the other piece was, um, making the organization smarter. So not just, you know, being noisy about who we are and getting people's attention, but actually being able to, uh, use this marketing as a vehicle to share the goodness of the insights that we create, we were creating and making sure that people, the right people knew the right insights at the right time. So there were certain insights that were marketed just to senior leadership. There were other insights that were marketed to the entire organization. Um, But a lot of it was just sort of like being really focused and intentional about what the goal of the marketing was Right. And who the audience was, and then sort of like detailing out a plan from there. And like you said, use the word campaigns, building out a campaign around the content. So taking content and, you know, one thing might be sort of like a big bang effort, like a video, but other things could have sort of like a drip campaign. So mm-hmm. like revealing like a little, little bit of information at a time, building up to something. Gotcha. So really the fact that you work at MailChimp is very helpful because uh, this is all stuff that you're very familiar with. Um, yeah. Whereas a lot of researchers, this is pretty pretty new. I mean, as a MailChimp user, I have some familiarity with a lot of the stuff you're talking about, but it's it's really interesting to see that kind of a lens applied to the research practice um, because I feel like a lot of the time we get really excited about the actual research work that we're doing and the impact that that can have. And we should, should be excited about doing good research work, but we don't really provide value directly to the companies that we work at. We, we create value through the empowerment and better decision-making of other people. So this intense focus, especially, I think what you're saying is, especially as a, as in a managerial role requires like, significant effort and time um, to to do it right, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, like, this is, this is my job, right? I'm, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not, you know, doing research day to day. I'm not on the ground level. Um, but I can apply what I know to my audience, right? So right. If, I, if my my goal is the goal of my team is to understand small business marketers and help us build better products to solve their problems. But my goal is to understand how do I get those to the right place and how do I make those insights impactful and influential? So my, 
my audience is understanding the decision makers and the stakeholders and understanding what motivates them and providing what they need. So meeting them where they're at um, to give them the information they need to feel confident about making a decision. That's a really interesting way to look at it too, right? The, as a, once you become this research manager, director, your, the, your customer changes all the all the researchers on your team their customers or the people they're focused on are the users of your product but for you your customers are senior management other product leaders marketing folks whoever it is that's responsible for decision making within the company right that's really interesting was that a hard transition when you move from an uh, I see role to becoming a manager. It's like to, to wrap your head around that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, and you know, I've, I've come to accept it more and more <laughs> over time, but certainly when I first moved into my first manager role, I didn't get it. Um, and I thought, you know, and I think this is a comment of, of new managers. Uh, I thought my job was to just teach people how to do research Right. Right. Um, but there's so much more to it than that in order to be like a really effective leader in the organization. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, yeah, managing people is, is this whole other thing <laughs> that requires so much right. time and is so important. It's so important to be a good manager so that your team trusts you. So when you come in and you say crazy stuff like, hey, we have to create a marketing plan. <laughs> you're actually able to like rally and get behind it. And, you know, that's not something that I would have been able to do effectively if I hadn't already earned the trust of my team um, because it was, you know, it was a radical idea at the time. That, that makes a ton of sense. So, you know, moving forward, uh, obviously you spent a ton of time focused on um, this, what you've called internal marketing of research work. How are you thinking about, scaling, uh, scaling and growing the team, not just from a number of people on your team point of view, but from, uh, just a general growth, like company growth point of view. Yeah. So I talked a little bit about the goals of, of the marketing were, um, on the one hand to gain visibility for our team and what we do, but on the other hand, not just market fluff, right? So being able to like provide actual insights and actual content to market. And so in order to get there, we needed to make sure that the research that we were doing and the insights we were providing were good. So we talk a lot about leveling up. So, you know, taking every researcher and leveling up their skills, but also leveling up our our abilities as a team. And some of the ways that we have done that is by forming really strong partnerships with other insights groups in the organization. So my UX research team is one half of product insights, which also includes product analytics. So we partner closely together all of the time to make sure that we're telling a unified data story. So we're not just presenting, you know, UX research insights, but we're also combining that and triangulating with product analytics. So they're able to give us a lot of really rich behavioral data uh, for what's happening, what people are actually doing. And we can combine that with our insights um, to really tell a a stronger story. And then we can also reach out to um, even beyond our team, the market research team, 
Uh, we have lots of support data, a lot of support ticket information. Um, and we can kind of take all of that information together and package it all together and tell a really strong and powerful unified story so that when we go and make a recommendation that all of us stand behind, it's a really strong and powerful recommendation. Um, but that's hard to do. Like it's easy to say, but hard to do because it requires so much collaboration, so much alignment. I mean, we are all, all of these insights teams that I mentioned are on, you know, different teams, different departments, roll up right. to different senior leaders. And so it's been a really, um, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of the work that I do, you ask about my work on a day-to-day -day level. A lot of the work that I do is help to drive alignment across those groups so that we can make good on our promise to be able to, to serve up these really strong and powerful and, um, good recommendations. That's brilliant. So basically out there building alliances every day. Um, yeah. wow. I, I feel like that's a, um, that's a really interesting place to sort of, uh, end this episode, but I, I have one final question before we sort of go. I think that, you know, you've, as you've talked through a lot of your experiences and the challenges that you faced along the way, there's been quite a, quite a bit of, um, uh, humility and openness about sort of challenges that you face, which has been really cool to see. For a, a lot of folks who, you know, as we've seen the research discipline, the research field expand, there's going to be more and more people moving from these individual contributor roles into more management roles and who are going to be immersed in uh, a lot of these problems without, usually without having um, a mentor in the company or support in the company who's been through this before. What kind of advice do you have for folks who are either in the process of making that transition, about to make that transition of going from, you know, just doing research to building out a research discipline and function um, about how they should go about doing that and about the feels that they're going to have along the way? Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think that as I've gotten further away from being an individual contributor and moving more towards leadership, I think one of the things that I had to let go of was being right all the time. So as a researcher, you, I mean, I always felt compelled to have the right answer, always be right at the right time. And sometimes that meant not committing to an answer or um, spending more time doing research or wanting to do more research and not commit to a recommendation. Um, and sometimes you just have to let go of that in order to sort of help your stakeholders make a decision quickly or move forward quickly. And so there's a lot of discomfort that comes from sort of like letting go of this like need for accuracy and need for a like the perfect amount of research. Sometimes you have to do just enough. Sometimes you have to be a little bit scrappy in order to provide what your stakeholders need at the time. And then um, from there, really just uh, focusing on what is going, like what is going to move us ahead right now. So there's, I can think of at any given time, I can think of like 15 different research projects that I would like to do. What is the thing that is going to get me credibility and get me enough um, 
uh, like good, good vibes, like good, uh, uh, like provide value basically to the organization so that I can then leverage that and, um, be able to do more. So like being able to sort of like focus and, and like, like narrow in on like, what is the most important thing I can do right now that will help my team in the long run? Does that make sense? Yeah. So make that initial investment on, on something that you can claim as a win that's going to build that trust that you're going to lead this in the right direction. Um, and then that'll give you more leeway to do some more heavier work that maybe has a longer term payoff time scale. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was much better said than <laughs> Well, I had the benefit <laughs> of listening to you say it first. Um, this was, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Patty, for joining us. Um, looking forward to many more conversations with you uh, and hearing more about all the crazy and fun things that uh, the MailChimp team is going to be up to. Um, you know, uh, uh, st- I'll stay tuned to your Twitter account and we'll, uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll get some more sneak peeks ahead. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alec. Okay, great. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the UXR podcast. I've got something important we'd like to share with you. We know a lot of folks out there are hurting from the layoffs, from the pay cuts, from the professional development cuts that have gone on, especially in the research community because of the pandemic that is COVID-19. That's why for UXR Conf Anywhere, we've made a pretty significant change. We're now making it so that anybody who doesn't have access to professional development budget, doesn't matter if you've been laid off, doesn't matter if you're a student, doesn't matter if you're just at a company that's cut all of the external or budgets related to learning, you're going to be able to get access to a ticket to the conference and all the programming involved for just $99. For more information, head over to uxrconference.com and check out our pricing page with all the information on how to take advantage of our $99 tickets. We'd love to see you there. uh, And uh, we hope to see you next week for another episode of the UXR podcast.